Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Welcome back. Before we move into today's passage, I have a favor to ask. When you guys leave a rating or review for this podcast, it really helps it get found by new listeners. So I'm asking you to take a sec and do just that. I would really appreciate it. Also, while I'm asking for favors, please keep sending along the quotes and lines that have touched you in your own reading. I love sharing these at the end of each show and I would really love to share yours. You can always leave a comment on the show notes or send me an email at staycurious at cindyjivinoli.com. Alrighty. So today's passage is an essay from Ross Gay's collection, The Book of Delights. Now, before we dive into the essay I'm sharing today, I just want to talk a little about how he came to write this book because it is awesome. Okay, so... Gay is a talented poet, so I would imagine that his powers of observation are already pretty keen, since isn't that so often what poets do? They make the unseen seen for the rest of us. But he says in the preface of this book that it occurred to him that it might, quote, feel nice, even useful, to write a daily essay about something delightful. You know I already love this, right? Now, he made a few rules for himself. He made the rule that he'd write a delight every day for a year, beginning and ending on his birthday, that he'd draft them quickly, and that he'd write them by hand. And he goes on to say in the preface that it didn't take him long to realize that this daily practice gave him a sort of delight radar. He says, the more you study delight, the more delight there is to study. You guys... This delights me to no end. So I am proposing a little challenge for all of us this week. Why don't we pretty much literally take a page out of Roske's book and spend this one week making note of at least one delight per day? Not write an essay, you know, unless you want to and that delights you, in which case, by all means. But really just simply aim to jot down one thing every day that delights you. I mean, we all know that there's good data out there to back up the power of a genuine gratitude practice, but we don't hear about this idea so much. I can't help but believe that my own life might be enriched by seeing if I can't develop my own delight radar a little. So why don't we do it together? One delight per day. Now, I'm going to put mine into my Instagram stories this week. So if you would like to do the same, be sure to tag me so that I can see all of your delights as well. Let's share some delight. This is going to be awesome. All right. So now that we are all inspired to follow his example, let's get to our passage today. This is essay number 78, Heart to Heart from Ross Gay's The Book of Delights.
I like to think of myself as fairly capable. I know how to plant a tree. I am a good hauler. I can spot edible plants most anywhere I go. Passable hammer skills. Sufficient typist, keyboardist. Not bad dancer. For the most part, I manage to do my job pretty okay. Interruptive delight. One of our great translators taught at my university for decades and retired a few years before I arrived. His advice to his younger colleague, who was my older colleague, and offered me the story, not his advice, was to be such a bumbling clusterfuck, my translation, on his next committee assignment that he would never be invited again, which is another kind of capable, I suppose. Not to mention, I have been blessed with a fair amount of athleticism, some of which was bestowed upon me by my ma and pa, and some of which I have cultivated by hacky-sacking and ollieing, etc. And so it surprised me that when I went to hug my friend Michael, yes, another hugging delight, and his arm position was such that my arm position was not going to work. His left arm was up and right down, whereas my right was up and left down. And I elegantly shifted my arm position to left up, right down, I nearly sprained my ankle going in for the hug like this. So flummoxed, so off-kilter was I. The delight is something about the exposure, the alert, of a physical and emotional rigidity, for adjusting hugs should not, I would think, be difficult to me. Especially as I am well-practiced at deferring or demurring in the hugging department. I try to be as submissive this way, not always, but sometimes, in part probably because of my size, which, as you know by now, is in the largest ballpark, and I don't want to be that guy. I can't stand that guy. My first encounter with this particular brand of flummoxment happened with my friend Aaron, who, in addition to inventing the very best jokes, always, always, hugs left cheek to left cheek as opposed to right to right. Something to do with lining up the hearts. Something space-age like that. The first time he aggressed me so, I tweaked my neck, for his heart-to-heart is uncompromising. And, long-hugging Aaron, I now know if I don't want to get hurt, I better lead with my heart. This book is so ridiculously fun. I should have mentioned that he is a lover of parentheticals, especially to make note of his particular delights, which is a little hard to convey when reading aloud, but sure makes reading his work on the page, uh, you guessed it, delight. So there are two things I want to talk about here. First, he says, the delight is something about the exposure, the alert of a physical and emotional rigidity for adjusting hugs should not, I would think, be difficult to me. I love that the thing that he found delightful in this interaction wasn't, in particular, the hug itself or even the potential humor of the awkward adjustment. What he found delight in was that some small rigidity in himself was gently pointed out. He was so flummoxed by shifting positions that he nearly sprained his ankle making the switch. And he found that exposure of his rigidity to be delightful. I can't help but think it says something about his character that rather than be embarrassed by realizing he had this rigidity or, I don't know, flogging himself for not being more flexible, he delighted in the alert. This is what cultivating a curious nature can do for us. This is an example of what it looks like in practice. 
This moment became one of delight instead of embarrassment, delight instead of judgment, delight to have been gifted a moment of learning about himself. This is so powerful. It might seem like an insignificant moment, right? Like no big deal. For most of us, it's likely we would simply adjust our arm positions, maybe with a little blush or a wisecrack of sorts, and then we just forget all about it as we moved along with our day. And like we talked about in the first episode of this season, the Angels and Bodhisattvas episode, this is a great example of the power of noticing. As I said in that episode, we notice what we're interested in and vice versa. We're interested in what we bother to notice. And by this point in the book, he had been at this daily practice of noticing and writing about his delights for about 10 months. So I would guess that his delight radar was pretty well developed at this point. And so he was in the habit of spending his days with one eye out for such things. He was interested, curious, open to all the ways, big and small, that delight might show up in his world. And on this day, he found it in this learning about himself. So not only was he curious about where delight might lie and wait for him, but he was curious enough about himself that the alert of nearly spraining his ankle while adjusting his hug piqued his interest, which in turn delighted him. I mean, I know I'm sort of beating a dead horse here to some extent, but I just love this example of how his curiosity added genuine joy and richness to his life in what was otherwise a mundane or even awkward moment. It gave him access to delight. That is how our curiosity serves our lives. It is so much more than a sort of party trick. It is the tool that pries our eyes open and our minds open so that we can live in this kind of joy and connection in our actual daily lives. Which brings me to the second thing I wanted to point out from this. He talks about how the first encounter with this kind of flummoxment happened with his friend Aaron, who always hugs left cheek to left cheeks that their hearts are lined up. And how the first time it happened, he tweaked his neck. His last line of the essay says, I now know if I don't want to get hurt, I better lead with my heart. All right, so you know I love this little twist, right? The way he takes what could be purely literal and just tucks in that bit of wisdom, like a big, smooth, heavy river rock just plunking down on us at the end. I now know if I don't want to get hurt, I better lead with my heart. Now, conventional wisdom would actually likely advise us differently, though, wouldn't it? That to protect ourselves from pain, we should lead with our heads, with our rational intellect, maybe even armor up and protect our hearts. But he's suggesting the opposite here. He's suggesting that we lead with our hearts if we don't want to get hurt. And he's saying that in the context of hugging his friends. And not just that, but two friends whose awkward hugs, you know, sort of nearly injured him twice. And that's just it, I think. When we lead with our hearts, when we expose ourselves to the quirks and the rough edges and the awkward embraces of other people, 
We can occasionally stumble or be flummoxed in any number of ways. There can actually be hurt involved. But it's that very embracing of those others, of the friends and loved ones that make up our trusted communities and the openness of our hearts to those quirks and vulnerabilities that is also what heals the tweaks and keeps us from permanent damage or brokenness. When I read this, I was reminded again of the courage it takes to, from way back in episode one, open the windows of our heart houses to others, to invite them in, and how it's the very connection that's created when we do just that, that is the source of our greatest healing. That courage is rooted, at least in part, in curiosity, in the openness that comes of it, the openness to see what can be, the openness to experience the magic of real connection and community. Love and relationship with other humans can just be messy business. It just is. Whether it's friendship or family or romantic entanglements, there are so many moments when we find ourselves with our left arm up instead of our right and we need to adjust sometimes stumbling along the way as we embrace the people in our lives as they are and as we are and we all figure it out together. It's when we stay curious in those moments that we can take delight in the stumble, in the small moments of learning that they offer, the way that they can show us the places and spaces we've grown rigid. And we can soften then, we can open which lets us lead with our hearts. Now, again, that is the essay Heart to Heart by Ross Gay from his Book of Delights. I really can't recommend this book strongly enough. I have just come recently to have a new and deeper than ever appreciation for essay collections like this. I love to make a daily practice out of reading an essay a day and just letting it soak into my bones as I go about my business. His writing has brought delight to my days and as always I have you know linked the book in my show notes in case you'd like to do the same and before I get to this week's listener contribution don't forget please leave a rating and a review if you can I would really appreciate it and I hope you'll join me this week in jotting down a delight a day look for mine in my Instagram stories my handle is at Cindy Giovanoli totally straightforward so Okie dokie, this week, Sarah S. is sharing a quote from the 1971 sci-fi classic, The Lathe of Heaven. She says, I recently reread The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula K. Le Guin after many years, and this quote really stood out to me. The quote, love doesn't just sit there like a stone. It has to be made like bread, remade all the time, made new. And Sarah says, My parents celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary last month, and this quote reminded me a little of my dad, who always likes to say that love is an action, not a feeling. I try to practice this in my own marriage, and this quote just feels like another reminder to do just that. This quote is gorgeous, Sarah. I had not actually heard of the Lathe of Heaven before, but I'm super intrigued, and so we'll add it to my overwhelming to-be-read list for sure. You know, when my husband and I got married, the only reading that we had at our wedding was about the idea of love as a verb. So I'm with your dad on this for sure. Thanks so much for sharing this, Sarah. All right. So 
Next week, we are looking at a passage from Leah Johnson's young adult novel, You Should See Me in a Crown. Until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word.